and that we truly remember that you are the hope in this world. In your name I pray, amen. All right, well, good morning. <clears throat> Hope everybody's doing okay today. Doing good? Yeah. It is chilly enough for a chicken stew, isn't it? Yeah, chilly enough for a chicken stew. So um, this coming Saturday, beginning at 530, we'll be having chicken stew here at the church. And invite your friends. It's chicken stew plus because it's not just chicken stew. For instance, well because we put other types of meat in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, just joking. Um, we have a trunk or treat that uh, you get on a tractor and you go around and the kids get their candy from the, from the trunk or treat. And then we have a box maze that takes two weeks to build. So my wife is over that project and so she's usually here from four until 10 at night working on that project with anybody that wants to come and help her out. It is if you've never seen it before, it's absolutely spectacular. It's, it's huge. It's nice. A lot of time put into it. If you'd like to help with that, just uh, let us know that. However, currently, we have 13 trunks, and that is wimpy, okay? So we need at least 20 or 25. So if you haven't signed up for a trunk this year and you want to do one, uh, let me know, let Grayson know, or Katie right over here, um, or Seth. Seth is with the youth right now during Bible study. And if you have trouble figuring out what to decorate, there are enough creative people in this, in this church to help you out with that and give you an idea and help you, help you get that accomplished. So anyway, <clears throat> if you want to do that, there, uh, just let us know. Just let us know. Well, today um, I, we are preaching a team message, and this is Grayson Snyder. You may know him. You may not know him. Um, I don't know, but uh, nonetheless, he's been here for about a year and a half. A year and a half. And what does it feel like, though? Uh, well, I messed up last service. Three months. Three, three months, months, yes. <laughs> last service, he said three years, and I said, you don't want to say that while your boss is on stage, right? <laughs> it's not a good idea. Not a good idea to say that while the boss is on stage. But yeah, he's been here about three and a half years, and um, he works... I was waiting for him to catch that, yeah. He's been here about one and a half years, and um, he, he works with our youth and does some other stuff around here, does set up and tear down and um, helps with uh, assimilation a little bit, so we're good. He goes to Southeastern Seminary, and he's uh, earning his Bible degree right now, so uh, we're very thankful to have him, and we are going to do a sermon. You ready? Ready. All right, turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 69, Psalm chapter 69, and as you're turning there to kind of get our minds <clears throat> kind of in focus to where David is that wrote this psalm, um, David has been attacked by enemies, okay? He's been attacked by enemies. Um, he has stood for truth and has been attacked for standing for that truth, and I would submit to you this morning um, if you stand for truth as a Christian today, you are going to be attacked for standing for that truth. There are enemies that are going to attack you. There's enemies that are going to put you down. You're going to be called all kinds of stuff for standing for truth. But Christians need to stand for truth. Mm. And when we do, 
that means that there might be a storm that comes, and when that storm comes, it gets bad for our lives for a while. But the truth is always worth the storm. The truth is always worth getting through the storm to the other side. It is better to stand for truth than to not stand for it. So you and I need to stand for that. So, so it, David here in the scripture, he has stood for truth and now he is getting attacked for it is what's right. happening. And, and he, he's having some depressing moments. He's having some moments where he's wondering what in the world is going to happen to him. Um, he's wondering where God is. It, there's some things that are happening here with him. But I'll have to say, it's not just when you stand for truth in this life that, that you have tough times, right? right? Sometimes it's just living life, right? You ever just wake up one day and you didn't expect anything and all of a sudden it just turns sour? You ever have that happen? Like you wake up and it, this happens over here, this happens over here, this happens at work and you're wondering and you're troubled. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of that is going on here too as well. There's a little underlying current of that in this psalm right. as well. So man, he is loud and bassy again. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I just have that. Yeah, you've got it? I've got it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, so. I'm sorry. I don't have that bass voice, oh. that little bass, you do, know, do you authoritative. No, because I think that when we get to heaven, God's voice isn't going to be bass. It's going to be like an Irish tenor. Mm. He's going to say, y'all come on in. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's what he's going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's read verse one. Let's read verse one. All right, it says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Mm. Now, Grayson's title for this is? Up to my neck. For, it's up to my neck. My title for this sermon is I Can't Swim, <laughs> is, is my, my title for it. So, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Have you ever felt like that the waters have come up to your neck? Something's happened in your family, Something's happened at your job, something's happened in your neighborhood, and you just feel like it's up to your neck, and you're trying to stay above the water. Mm. Um, he continues to describe how he's feeling in verse two. It says, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. So it's like he's in quicksand, and every step he takes, he just sinks deeper and deeper and deeper. Have you felt like everything that you have tried to do to solve your issue, you just keep sinking deeper and deeper and deeper in it. Mm. Have you ever felt that way? Well, that's exactly how David's feeling as well. It says, I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. So that's, he's keeping his head above water, but it just keeps hitting him. Even though his head's there, the water keeps hitting him over and over again. Um, he says, I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. That is a picture of someone that has cried themselves to sleep. Have you ever cried yourself to mm. sleep? You've been just so depressed, so remorseful, crying so much that it just exhausted you. And sometimes you can cry and your voice gives out. I've never had that experience, but that's the experience that he is, he's doing. His throat is parched. He says, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. I'm just waiting for him. I want him to come. But man, it's getting harder and harder and harder for me to look for God. It's, it's getting harder and harder for me to grab a hold of God. It's, it's getting harder and harder for me to trust in God. I mean, I'm waiting for him, but man, I'm getting weak. It's just tiresome. I want him to solve my issue now. And in verse four, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mm. Have you ever felt like the whole world's against you? 
Has anybody ever felt that way? The whole world is against me. All my friends that I thought were my friends seem to be against me, and everybody just seems to be against me. And then it ends here in verse 4, with mighty are those who would destroy me and those who attack me with lies. So Mm -hmm. even the people that are attacking me seem to be stronger than I am. And my foundation, man, I'm trying to get my foot on a foundation to where I I can just get some steadiness in my life, and I just can't get there. Right. just can't get there. Yeah. These are, these are circumstances that have really tested David's foundation. <laughs> they have really kind of tested what he is building his life upon. And we go through circumstances like this. Right. Um, it's not the same as David because David, I feel like these aren't everyday circumstances. These are um, not your someone pulls out in front of you on the road and proceeds to go 20 miles an hour below the speed limit. These are further than that. This is a crisis in David's life. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is saying in verse 2, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. Like you're saying, he keeps getting deeper and deeper in this. He's crying out to God. His throat is parched, waiting on God because he knows he can't deliver himself. Right. He knows that in this crisis... He just can do nothing by himself to figure a way out of this. And so you go on a little bit further, and he uh, continues in verse 2, I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. David doesn't say, God, don't worry, the waters are three feet deep, and I can stand. Hmm. It's all right, God. I got this. He doesn't say, God, yeah, the, the rapids are a little bit tough right now, but don't worry, land's just five, ten feet away. I can swim. I can make it. He says, the floods are sweeping over me. The water is up to my neck. I am drowning. And God, I need you. This is a crisis. This is much deeper than that. And David, he is showing us that crises, crisi, cacti, cactus. Crises. I mean, I always do stuff correctly up here. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Crises. Crises. Yeah, crises. Crises, they show you what your foundation is built on. They show you what you have built your life upon. So some of these, some of these that are kind of the, the big three in my mind um, are money, Money is a, is a foundation that people build their life on. Mm-hmm. Jobs and health. <laughs> so money, people a lot of times, they live and they say, how can I get as much money as possible? What can I do to acquire more money? How can I make another thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, million dollars? And money to them becomes life itself. They measure their life in how much money is in their bank account. And jobs are another one. Jobs are something that we don't look at a lot of times. People, they build their life upon their job security. As long as I have a job, as long as I have this job that I really like, the job that I really want that pays me well, I'm fine. Once that job is gone, their life seems to fall apart. Health is another one that people tend to build their foundations on. Health, it can be in themselves. As long as they are healthy, 
they're good to go. But as soon as they start to feel a little bit of that discomfort, as soon as they start to get sick, as soon as they start to get really sick, that's when their life seems to crumble before them. It can also be in other people's health, like loved ones' health. Whenever they have a loved one who's doing great, who is healthy, they praise God. They, they, um, they tend to be happier a lot of the times. And I'm not saying it's bad to be sad. I'm not saying it's bad to mourn. But once that loved one either gets extremely sick or passes away, that's when life starts to get burdensome to them. They seem to, to be traveling with a giant weighted va- vest on, a weighted vest. And they don't know how much further they can go. See, these are what I would call weak foundations. Their foundations, weak foundations, will either control you or they will destroy you. <laughs> and see, whenever you have a foundation that it will control you, you start to become obsessive over it. With your job, that's all you can think about. Day and night, when you wake up, you are thinking about your job. When you go to sleep, you are thinking about your job. You become obsessed over it. When it's your health, you start to become obsessed over your health. I need to take every medication I can to just feel better again. And whenever your life, whenever your foundation seeks to destroy you, it is like your life has crumbled away. It is like a pit has opened up and you have just fallen through it and it's a never-ending pit and you just, you can't seem to do anything. You seem helpless. You seem hopeless. And so these foundations, they are weak foundations. David, in this passage, you turn to verses 14 and 15. He says, deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered with my, or let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. David could have easily turned to a weak foundation. In verse 4, he talks about the number of people that are gathered against him. More in number are them than the hairs of my head, he says. And David, he could have easily turned to armies that are around him. He could have easily turned to mighty soldiers that are around him. And instead, what he did is he turned to God. He says, God, deliver me. God, deliver me from these mires. David didn't, he didn't follow a weak foundation. See, some of these, some of these weak foundations, what they do is they'll do both. They'll control you and they'll destroy you. That's the case with money. Money, you start becoming obsessive over. How can I gain as much as I can? And you start to gain it immorally. You don't care how you get money. You just care that you got it. And so you become obsessed over it. And once that happens, let's say you make a big risk because you want a big payout. Big payout means big risk. And so that risk happens, and let's say you lose it. You lose your money. It destroys you. It opens up that pit. You feel like your life has crumbled because you have lost this money. And you don't see any way of coming back. See, Our foundation, it has to be in God. That's what David's foundation was. He didn't turn to those armies. He didn't turn to surrounding nations to help him through this. He turned to God. God is the only 
foundation that we can build our lives upon that has the power to supplement your needs, to supply you with what you need. And he is the only one that you can build your life upon that does so with um, unconditional love. No matter how many times you mess up, no matter how many times you fall, your life hasn't fallen, your foundation hasn't gave way because God is still there. He is still loving you unconditionally through all of this. Yeah. And, and some, people, some people put their foundations in their relationships and the connections that they have, don't they? And I have all these relationships over here and I fit in with these people. And then when these people no longer like you, your world falls apart. You see, it's not just high school and middle school where you just want to seem cool to everybody around you. Right? There's, when you get older, you want to fit in too. You want to have friends. You want to fit in with the crowd. You want to do that. But if you put your trust and your faith in the crowd and your friends, they are going to let you down because they are human. They're going to do that. And so some people turn to their friends in troubled times. And I think when it comes to the church, I think that you should be able to turn to your Christian friends and they support mm. you. I, th I think absolutely that should be it. But the first person you turn to should not be your friends. Right. The first person you turn to should be God. And so David turns to God and he expects God to do something about his situation. Look at verse 13. It says, but as for me, I am going to turn to in prayer to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. He's expecting God to answer him. He doesn't know when, but he knows that God will answer him, and it's an expectation for that answer. Right. And then verse 16, it says, Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. So he's reaching out to God to turn to him, because at the end of the day, he knows that God is the only answer for his particular situation. Right. So he's anchoring his foundation in him and not everything else. Right. That's what he's doing. Yeah, and you mentioned it, that second line of verse 13. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Yeah. He did expect God to answer him. He just knew that it was in God's timing, not his. Right. He, he seemed to be willing to wait on God. He knew that God was going to deliver him on his timing. And see, a lot of us, what we'll do is we'll become impatient with God. We'll, God will become too slow for our wants, our desires. And so whenever that happens, whenever God doesn't move in the timing that we want him to move, our trust in what he is doing starts to slowly evaporate, little by little. And so if you look at it on like a timeline scale, we become impatient because we know that life for us on earth starts here. This is when you're born. And you go a little bit further, and you die about here. Dude. I'm, I'm sorry. You could have put that timeline right here. It's, it's an extra 10 feet. I just... You know what they say about my generation, not, you know, being a little lazier. Well, I, heaven is right here, ladies and gentlemen. That's what he said. Yeah. So... 
You have this timeline where life starts over here and death is over here and Philip is past that. Um, <laughs> wow. And so we want something about right here. Let's say we ask God for something right here. Well, when you go about 5, 10, 15 years down the line and it still hasn't happened, you start to question things. Your hope, your trust in what God is, what you've asked him for, you start to wonder if that thing is ever going to happen. And so God's timeline doesn't work like that. It is not limited like that from that space to there. God's timeline goes through this church around the earth um, as many times as it possibly ever can, goes that way, surrounds the earth as many times as it ever can. He is infinite. He is eternal. His timeline doesn't work on this little scale. See, whenever we ask God for something and we go that 15 years, we are asking for it right here. And let's say it happens in 15 years. Well, then it happens right here. Now, if you didn't notice, my hand didn't move. Because it is a blip on that infinite timeline. And then we start to think, was well, it going to happen on my timing? It's not God's timeline. He has a lot more room to play around with than we do. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen whenever he wants it to happen. Because he's the one with the power to make it happen. He's the one with the knowledge of how it needs to happen. Whenever we go through times like these, though, whenever we wait that 15 years, it's when our, our hope in God starts to dwindle a little bit. It starts to become a little bit less and less. Now, we still hope in God. We still have our foundation built upon him. But our hope in what we are asking for, it starts to shrink. And it starts to fade away. And so we'll start asking ourselves questions like, is this even worth my time? Do I need to even be asking you for this right now, God? We'll start to say, God, do you even want this to happen? What is the point in me even praying for this? And then we'll, we'll ask other questions, like, are you going to act? We start questioning him a little bit. Are you going to act? I'm praying for this. I've prayed for this for so long, and I haven't seen any progress, any development. Are you going to do something, God? And so our hope, it starts to dwindle down, and it starts to shift. And see, when that happens, that is an us problem. Whenever our hope dwindles down, that is an us problem. That is not God, because God has always been faithful. God has always worked things out for his glory. And so that is an us problem. And if you turn to verse 17 and 18... What it says is, hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. See, David knows that God is going to answer him. We talked about that earlier. David knows that God is going to answer him. He would like it to be a little bit quicker. He would like God to hurry up. That's why he says, make haste. But see, David knows that it's going to happen, and he casts a plea to God's character. In verse 13, he says, In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. In verse 16, he continues, and he says, um, 
He talks about God's steadfast love again. He talks about God's abundant mercy. See, these are all characteristics of God. His lovingness, his um, faithfulness, his mercy. And the amazing thing about all of this is that God's character doesn't change. And David knew that. It is called his immutability. David knew that God's character isn't going to change. God had already exemplified his faithfulness to David. He had already exemplified his love to David. He had already exemplified his mercy to David. And so when David is asking these things, he's saying, God, I know you are going to continue to be faithful to me because you always were. I know you are going to continue to love me because you always have. I know you are always going to be, continue to be merciful because you always have been to me. See, whenever we go through crises, whenever we go through our darkest times, God's character hasn't changed. He is still loving to you. He is still faithful to you. He is still merciful to you. Nothing has changed, even, even though your situation has, even though your circumstances might have. You might have developed a crisis in the meantime. But even when you can't see it, God is fighting your battles. He is still loving you. He is still faithful to you. He is still merciful to you, even though you might not recognize it on your timeline. Yeah. So <clears throat> we, tr we trust that um, God's timeline is going to be God's timeline, and he knows what he's doing. We turn to God in prayer, and then I like how you, how you kind of talked about hope a little bit, mm. but hope wavers sometime. Right. Can, can you unpack that a little bit? How does... How does hope waver sometime? What right. happens when that happens? So let's say that I have a loved one that I know is unsaved. And so I pray for them. I pray for them repeatedly. I pray for them to know who God is, know his son as their savior. And time passes. A year passes. Two years passes. Three years passes. Um, up to five years passes. And I still haven't recognized any change. I still haven't recognized any movement that God has done, that hope starts to dwindle down because I start feeling like maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe this isn't what God's will is. And so I kind of, I kind of, people start to give up on it. They say, okay, God, if it's your will, then you will do it. I'm just going to leave it alone, though, because I feel like I'm wasting my time a little bit. And so that's, that's kind of how our hope dwindles down slowly. Yeah, so we're, t we're talking about a couple of different types of hope, aren't we? Right? There's, there's a couple of different, I mean, it's still hope, but it's different types of hope. For instance, he's talking about hope for you to get well. He's talking about hope for um, this person to be saved. Who's your football team? Uh, the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons. Are they good this year, anybody? Nope. I okay. see that head shaking over there, Brad. Nope, not good this year. Three so, the, so there's hopelessness there for the season. There's still hope. <laughs> yeah, and there's false hope. So, <laughs> so, so there's all these types of hope that it's, so we get to the point where we start merging the hope we have in Christ with the hopes that we have in this world. And what is the difference between those? 
and um, how do we work out this whole hope thing, okay? So I looked up the definition to hope in the dictionary, and this is what it says. Hope, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing, event to happen or to be obtained. So it's a feeling of expectation. I want this to happen. I'm hoping that it was happen. I'm hoping the Atlanta Falcons will have a miracle we need it. and win. And, and a desire for a certain thing, like something, something that you get. Um, for instance, a lot of you are going to hope that you get certain items for Christmas. Now, some people in here don't it doesn't matter what they get for Christmas, but there might be an item that you want, that some other people want, that they're hoping to get. And so it's a certain thing that you obtain, it's an event that you want to happen, or something that you actually grab a hold of. And so there's this, this hope thing going on, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing or event to happen. And so um, some commentaries, when it comes to Psalm chapter 69, say that David wrote this psalm, and by the end of it, he pulled out of his despair. And I totally disagree with him on that. I think that the entire time that he wrote the psalm, he was in despair, he was just reaching out for something to help him with his issue. He's crying out to God. He's explaining to God how he feels. He, he wants some relief, and he's crying out to God. And the whole time, the whole psalm is wrapped up in hope. But it isn't hope in the temporary. It's hope in what is going to happen in the future when everything is fixed. See, it's great to hope that someone will receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but at the end of the day, it's their decision. You can pray for it and pray for it and pray for it, but it's their decision. You can pray for someone to get better in their health condition. You can pray for that. And God sometimes comes in into the moment and he heals them. He heals them in the moment instantly or he does it through doctors and procedures. He does that or, or something like that. And God does come in. But sometimes God doesn't heal people. I've done a lot of funerals where the person passed away from their sickness so it's, it's not a hope in the temporary that he's talking about here. What's getting him through when he is up to his neck and when he's sinking and when he can't find his foothold, what is getting him through is a hope that God is going to work everything out for good and there's something amazing that's going to happen in the future that he holds, holds on to. And in this passage, in verse 35, he describes what that is. It says this, for God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and the people shall dwell there and possess it, and the offspring of his servant shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. He is looking for the day where Jesus comes back and makes everything right. That's the hope he looks for. Does he have all these requests and he hopes in a, little, in a little way that all this stuff will happen? Absolutely. But his sure hope is that Jesus one day is going to make the world perfect. And that is his hope that he's not going to have to stay the way that he is. He is going somewhere. And he's so excited about it, he praises God for it. In verse 34, it says, Let heaven and earth praise him and the seas and everything that moves in them, because God is going to make things perfect in the end. So just for a moment, I want to turn to, um, uh, go to uh, Romans chapter 8 and kind of talk about hope and um, how we as Christians should use it. So here it is. 
uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 24 through 25 says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here's an illustration of, of this passage of Scripture. Grace is going to stand and he's going to turn in this direction and this is the past. There are some people that hope in the past. Somewhere in their back, in their backstory, back in their past, they have this moment like right here that was that where they grabbed a hold of hope and they had it for just a few moments and then it, and then it was gone, right? And the reason that when you hope for something and it's gone is because once you obtain, according to that, what you hope for, you no longer hope for it. Think about Christmas. There had to be a time in everybody's life where you hoped for something at Christmas. We were all children at one time. There was hope for this toy, this thing, whatever, and even adults hope for things. And once you obtained that particular possession, it brought you joy, but you no longer hoped. Your hope has ended. So some people look in their past and they're hoping that their past will be their present, but their past can't be their present. They want to have that feeling of hope that they had back here and the joy that they had back here, but it is not going to happen in their present moment. Hoping in your past is hoping in a graveyard. It's hoping in a black hole. You, you, can't, you can look back on fond memories but hope is dead. It's not really hope. This hope will never be achieved. If you hope in your past, you begin to walk backwards into your future. So you're not looking at your future. You're walking backwards into it. And when you're looking for hope in the past, walking backwards in your present towards your future, you're going to run into things. Right? And you're going to, right? And you're going to hit it. And a lot of people live this way. They're looking for hope in their past, not looking at hope in the future. And they kept keep running into stuff, keep running into stuff, and they can't seem to, to go any further. Or, <laughs> there's something that's going to come that's going to trip them up, right? If you are looking always at your past for the good old days to be recreated in the now, you're literally hoping in a graveyard, that is not where hope is found. In fact, hope's not even found in the present. And so to illustrate that... Um, I brought my favorite mask. Yeah, it's really cute. <laughs> he does rock, doesn't he? Yeah, now hope is seen, seen is not hope, right? For who hopes in what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There are some people that have cut off their past, and they're just living in the now. They're not looking in the future. It's just whatever comes in the next moment. And if you're living for what comes in the next moment, all, you do, all you're doing is grabbing for stuff. And you can never lay a hold of anything. Well, you're supposed to keep doing that. Lay a hold of anything <laughs> substantial. The last five minutes have just passed from your life, and you will never have them again. This morning is already gone. This afternoon is on the horizon. And anytime we try to just 
find the good vibes in the moment and the good stuff in the moment, we're grasping and grasping, we can never lay a hold of hope. The only way that you, cannot, you and I can have hope is that if we look in the future this way. Look in the future. Remember, this is death in heaven. <laughs> you look into the future. And it's not, ladies and gentlemen, a hope in what you're going to achieve temporarily in the future. What you're going to lay a hold of yourself temporarily in the future. The thing that you're hoping for will happen. It's not that. Because once you have, have that, hope is gone. The hope for the Christian that keeps us going in strength is the hope that Jesus comes back. And when he does, he sets things right and everything is perfect. This is what keeps you going. Because when you're up to your neck in it, right, and you're saving the watches, you're trying to save yourself, you're trying to stay above, in the moment, you know that this right here is not going to be your eternity. This right here is not going to be the end of you. This right here does not define you in the future. And so you look forward to the day Jesus comes back and he sets everything right and you reach for that hope because hope is always in the future. You can sit down if you want to. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So here's, here's the cool thing about this whole hope. There is coming a day where you and I will never have to hope again. We will be in heaven it will be perfect. And when things are perfect, there's no reason to hope. When things do not have to get fixed, there is no reason to hope. We will obtain perfection because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this moment is what helps you have strength in the moments that aren't so good. Isn't that great? This is what Jesus provides for you. And so... But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. You know, I, I just realized in the second time that we did this, your illustration about someone pulling out in front of you, yeah. I realized what that may be all, all about, and maybe, maybe you didn't even have this thought. I'm, I might not have. Yeah, but you were talking about God's timing, Right. right? And then you talked about someone put, pulling out in front of you and it frustrates you because right. it slows you down because they're going 25 and you want to get on down the road. Yeah, I'd like to go. What if God is the one that's driving the other car? Hmm. What if God is the one that's slowing you down to get you to his timing rather than you speeding into your future? I think that's a brilliant illustration. Yeah. yeah. Now, the first service didn't get that because I'm slow. <laughs> A little while, little while later. So let's look at the end of the psalm, and then we'll wrap this up, okay? So we'll start with verse 29, and then we'll go to verse uh, 32. So Grayson? But I am inflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything in that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servant shall inherit it, and those who loves his, love his name shall dwell in it. 
So I don't know what you're going through, but this is what I do know. You need to place your hope in the future and not the now. You need to make sure you're not looking at the past for your hope, and you need to remember one day God will solve all of this. And that is how you have steadfastness. That's how you have peace. That's how you have vision for your life. That's how you get through this moment right now. So let's pray.